Welcome to the Northeast Christian Podcast. We're so excited that you've decided to check out our weekly messages. We hope that you're challenged and inspired by what you're hearing today. We'd love to have you join us this weekend at one of our campuses or online at northeast.live. For more information on Northeast, visit us at necchurch.org. If you love the Northeast podcast, subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment or a rating in the Apple Podcast Store. Well, good morning, everybody. We are in the third week of a series where we have been walking through the book of James together. We've been focusing specifically on the parts of his letter where he dresses addresses what it looks like to overcome adversity. So week one, we talked about when we face trials and temptations and what our response to those things can be. Last week, we talked about what it looks like to mature, not just in wisdom, but specifically godly wisdom. And today we're gonna wrap up this conversation by talking about persevering with patience. Patience is a very, very hard thing to learn in our lives. Patience is a virtue, right? We've all heard that before, um, but how many of us would feel confident saying that we are a very patient person all the time? That is a hard, hard um, thing to grasp and to reach in our lives. A recent recent research study done um, here in America polled 2,000 people and asked them to estimate about how long it takes before they become frustrated in some of the the little daily things that we go through and and just to measure how quickly we get frustrated. So here, look at some of these statistics. It's, It's actually quite terrifying. The average person becomes frustrated after waiting 16 seconds for a web page to load. 20 seconds for ink to dry on a greeting card because you know you want to put it in the envelope and you don't have more time to wait before you can put the card in the envelope. 25 seconds for a traffic signal to change. 49 seconds for the checkout line to move forward before you are strategizing and trying to figure out which line is moving quickest and slowest so that you can readjust. 11 minutes for your food to arrive at your table when you're at a restaurant. 13 minutes for your luggage at baggage claim and 90 minutes for an email reply at work. Now, despite admitting how impatient we are with some of these daily hassles that we face, when these same people were asked if they would define patience as a virtue, which by definition is a behavior showing high moral standards, 95% of these same people said, yes, absolutely, it's a virtue, all while admitting that they don't really have it figured out at all. Patience is something that we talk about a lot and in a sense is similar to something we've been talking about a lot here over the last six to eight months when it comes to the idea of slowing down our lives. In our mental health sermon series in the fall, we talked about rest and how important that is. We had a whole series at the beginning of the year called Unhurried Rhythms. And patience is so intertwined with the idea of slowing down and being able to just find that accurate, right pace that God wants us to. Patience is very hard to develop, and and today we're going to be looking specifically at the ways in which James says that developing patience and figuring out how to persevere with patience is one of the best ways, the most godly ways that we can truly figure out how to overcome adversity in our lives. So for our conversation today, we are in James chapter 5. I'm going to be reading to you verses 13 through 16 all together, and then we're going to go back and, and read them verse by verse 
verse and see what it is that James wants us to hear. So follow along as I read this passage to you. James says, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience in suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes so that you will not sin and be condemned. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Why is it that you think James might know that it's important for him to talk about patience as he begins to wrap up his letter to the church? Well, it could be perhaps because of all the really difficult, heavy things that he has just talked to us about. If you remember in the first week of our conversation, we looked at all the themes that James was going to be unpacking throughout his letter. And we're going to pop up this list again, because I think it will quickly help you realize why we all are going to need patience in our lives, because James has now taught us about suffering and trials, about endurance under persecution, faith and works, maturing in wisdom, controlling the tongue, cultivating humility, caring for others, and finally, persevering with patience. Now, any one of those things alone requires an immense amount of patience, let alone when you're learning about how to apply all of the teachings he's, he's sharing with us. All at one time, we're going to need a lot of patience. James starts this, this part of his letter by reminding us of how patient farmers must be. That verse uh, that we read, it says, consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. Farmers cannot control how quickly their harvest will ripen. They have no choice but to wait it out. And I think that you and I have a lot that we could learn from how patient they must be. It's, it's really the concept of delayed gratification where we have to put in the work now knowing that the benefit or the fruit from that work isn't gonna come until sometimes much, much later in our lives. But to be honest, as a culture, we're not really all that great at that. We want instant gratification. And what James is trying to help us realize that the delayed gratification that he wants us to, to reach and achieve, and hopefully that we want to reach and achieve, is eternal life with God. And I think we'd all agree that that's worth waiting for, but how do we wait well in the meantime? Because we know we're going to face adversity. So how do we prepare our lives and our hearts to do that in a godly way? Do you know what makes waiting even harder? It's waiting in those seasons when you're facing adversity. Because when you're facing something that is really difficult, 
the, the reality is you're tired. You're physically tired, you're emotionally tired, you're spiritually tired, you're mentally tired. We're just exhausted. And when you are exhausted, it is really hard to believe that anything good could possibly come on the other side of that waiting. We have to learn what it looks like to wait well. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, if you're wired anything like me, you would be okay with that if you could just kind of know when that proper time is gonna be. Like if you could just give me like, is it this year, next year, today, tomorrow, I'll wait as long as you want me to. Just, I just wanna know when that's gonna be. And that's just not our reality. If farmers gave up when they got tired of waiting, they would never reap a harvest. And the same is, is true in our lives. And so what we have just talked through is the first instance or scenario when James is telling us that, that we need to be patient. James is saying, be patient when you can't control the outcome. Because when you can't control the outcome, God can and he will. We have to learn to be patient and stop playing out in our minds every worst case scenario of what could possibly happen because those scenarios are probably all wrong and all we're doing is taking our attention and ripping it away from where God wants us to be, which is focusing on him every step of the way. The biggest challenge while we wait in those seasons is that we forget how important it is to take care of our souls. Because James goes on in this passage to tell us that the opposite of being patient is grumbling. He says in verse nine, don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. Is anyone else willing to admit that when things get even just a little bit difficult, you grumble just too much? You complain about the circumstances that you're faced with. You complain about the people who you're sure are putting those circumstances in your life. Oftentimes that is the first place that we go when we feel that we are under attack in any way. We put our guard up. If I even start to think that someone is out to get me, I move into this intense self-protection mode so that I don't get hurt even worse. But what we miss in those moments when we lean into that grumbling and we lean into that complaining is that we refuse to follow what James has already taught us last week, which is to mature in godly wisdom by putting people around us who can encourage us, support us, speak truth to us. When we're too busy grumbling, we miss out on every opportunity God has placed in our lives for that to happen. And he makes it very clear in this passage, he's pleading with us that, to not even think about turning on each other, especially within the church. And if we're honest, sometimes Christians can be the absolute worst at this. We cannot be going around creating unnecessary tension and conflict and grumbling. James is telling us that that is the opposite of what we're being called to do. So what if in those moments when uh, we feel like we're under attack or we feel some type of, of adversity in our lives or somebody's out to get us, what if we look more at uh, what we read in Luke chapter six? What if this is actually what James is telling us to do when we wanna practice patience with other people? Here's what Luke six says. It says, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. 
Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. What if these commands that we just read in Luke 6 were actually our first response when we feel grumbling creeping up in our hearts and in our interactions with other people? What if patience in those moments actually looked like practicing those commands? Practice loving your enemies. Practice doing good to those who hate you. Practice patience by blessing those who curse you. Practice patience by praying for those who hurt you. What if that was our response to that grumbling? It's a really great way to care for our souls. And it's a really great way to consider it joy when troubles come our way, which is what we've been talking about this entire time. You know, if someone is really trying to bring you down, which is not always the case, but if they really are, I can promise you that nothing is going to derail them faster than your ability to smile and not let their negative energy get to you. So what would you say or how would you say you're doing at that right now in your life? Is there opportunity for growth? Because I think for some of us, myself included, there's a lot of opportunity for growth. It's why sometimes, sometimes when I get frustrated and while I'm driving down the road uh, because of some crazy driver who I'm sure is just going to plow into me, when they erratically fly past me, I love nothing more than to just look over and smile at Wave because I can promise you it's the opposite of what they want in that moment. They want me to be just as upset as they are, but we can't give people that power in our lives. So what would it look like when you're faced with someone who's trying to get you down in some way to respond with positivity and love and consider it joy? We said, uh, I said, we're going to share three things, three times in our lives when James is telling us to be patient. And we said, be patient when you can't control the outcome. And, and the second one here, be patient when you can't change people. When we make the decision to live our lives for Jesus and to live out the convictions and the beliefs that we have as followers of Jesus, we will have people who oppose us, mock us, and ridicule us. And it might feel at times as if their entire agenda is to attack your faith and the type of life that God is calling you to. And trust me, you will need patience in those moments. You will need to find a way to remember that while you can't change people, God can. God can change people. He does change people. He's changed every single one of us. So why can't we remember in those moments that if anybody could change their heart or change the way that they're treating you, it might just be God. So what if you go to God instead? In this next part of the passage that James um, is speaking in, the, in this letter, he mentions Job. And maybe you have heard someone say about someone else, like, he's got the patience of Job. It's never been said about me. Um, and it, I hope that it is someday because I already told you I have a lot of opportunity for growth in this area. But here's why people say that phrase. It's because of the immense amount of suffering that Job experienced. Job is a character in the, the Old Testament and we know his story. We know that um, in one single day, Job lost all of his wealth and his children. Uh, he became very sick and his wife did not try to help. In fact, not only did his wife not try to help, she actually told him to just give up. 
which is not exactly the kind of godly wisdom that we've been talking about sharing with one another. When his friends saw all the trials that he was walking through, they assumed that it was just kind of his fault. He must have been grumbling too much when in fact Job hadn't really done anything wrong. The reason that James is talking about Job as an example in this passage is because that during the time that that James wrote this letter, the church was under a lot of persecution during that time. And James knew that if he could point people's attention back to the way that Job responded when he was faced with so much adversity, that he thought that maybe they might be able to cultivate that same type of patience because Job was an example to them of what it looked like to wait on God, to be patient when nothing made sense, to lean on godly wisdom, to believe that somehow, someday, God would be glorified through all of it. Job couldn't see that in the midst of his strife, and maybe you can relate to that, but can you imagine how Job would feel if he would know that today, thousands of years later, we'd still be talking about the way that he lived his life as an example for what kind of patience we should have when we face adversity. I would imagine Job never imagined that he would be the face and the example of patience. Here's what James said specifically about Job's story. He said, you can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. So my question for you out of that is, are you patient enough to wait well and to believe that the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy in your life as well? If you have been with us throughout this series over the last few weeks, you know that we have been sharing um, a story with you. It's the story of Katie and Aaron Thompson, who are a family in our church, and they have graciously and boldly and in a very vulnerable way opened the door into um, into their lives and their story and the ways that God has moved in their lives. Um, They have shared with us Aaron's story of alcoholism and how that has affected their marriage and their lives in every way. And it's been incredible over the last couple of weeks to see as we've read through the book of James, we've talked about how we can respond to trials and temptations. We've talked about how we can mature in godly wisdom. And now we're talking about patience. And I hope that you've seen the threads of all of those things throughout Katie and Aaron's story. But I wanna point you back to, again, the fact that just like Job, they couldn't see that when they were in the midst of the hardest moments of their lives. But now they can see where God has been present every step along the way, even in the darkness. Today, we get to listen to the third and final part of their story. So let's listen as they share right now. Whenever I was actually in treatment, the first week that you're there, you're completely cut off from the outside world. You don't have any phones, you, don't, you can't watch TV, you can't you know, call anybody, anything like that. And after the first week, you actually get the privilege to, to call somebody uh, one time a day for five to 10 minutes, whatever it might be. Um, and I called Katie and you know, she was basically telling me that if you think you're coming back into the house, that you need to think again. So, I mean, it was like, what is, what's going on? You know, I had no idea what, I mean, you know, at that point, you know, sobriety was going to get me my family back. Sobriety was going to get me my life back. Um, and then basically that was shut down in a five minute period of time. And it was almost like, why am I even doing this? Finally conceded to Katie that, you know, I'll go, I'll go to a sober living home. You know, I, and that's what I did after I got out, I went to a sober living home. Um, I still wasn't getting Katie back. I 
And, you know, honestly, I finally, I'd come to terms with, I may never get her back. I may never see my kids again. Up until this point, I thought that I was doing all this to get everything back that, that, I, that I'd lost. You know, I, I, I need to get this back. I need to get this back. No, I, I need to figure out who I am and what God's trying to do in my life. And once you figure those out, then you can start getting everything else back too. And if it doesn't come back, there's a story to be told there too. Because it doesn't always happen that way. Until you can realize that it's not, it's not them, it's the disease that's doing it. Um, it becomes, it's very personal. And it's a very um, challenging place to be. And it's a very lonely place to be if you continue to isolate yourself just as the person going through the addiction does. Once he went into the recovery, that's when I started, like my recovery. And that's when I started to not have any more secrets. That was the time where I said, enough's enough. Um, and I literally met with every friend I had avoided, every, you know, work person that didn't know what was going on. And I told everyone and I, it was the most refreshing thing I've ever done. I was kind of the guy that you would see at a grocery store or you would see just at church or something like that, have a smile on my face and not really know that there's anything behind that smile. Um, but there was something really dark going on there. And I see people on a daily basis that are probably going through the same thing, but they're really scared about what it's gonna look like if they tell somebody. Everything this world really shows you is that it's trying to isolate you. And my recovery and the person who's out there in recovery or trying to get into recovery, your addiction's trying to isolate you from everything. Um, I just really encourage people who's going through something like that to reach out to somebody because you don't know what it's gonna look like later on down the road but you've got a pretty good idea of what it looks like if you keep going down the road you're on right now. They were lights to us on how to, you know, really go through hard times. You don't do it by yourself, you do it with your community. God didn't put us all in that situation for no reason. And I, I just had a feeling that, that God was really going to bring them through and be glorified through it all. And that's what I see in the way they both pour back into couples who are struggling with similar situations. I've seen Aaron uh, specifically take on a lot of different leadership roles since this. I think it's given him the confidence that he needs to kind of exercise those demons that haunted him for so long and, and to meet it head on. And it's really enabled him to, to, to be more of a leader in our church. It's not exactly what I would have pictured our marriage to look like. Um, I didn't think that that would be a, a key spot to our story, but I think we have something that we know really well. Not that it's, you know, a super positive situation. And we're still going through it. And I think the other big thing is that our marriage isn't perfect. We, you know, we've been able to heal individually, but we've not been able to, we've really never been spouses. We are still learning that. We're, we're even, you know, going through counseling today. But we know how to now communicate to each other because 
when we realize that secrets are not gonna be the, what's gonna keep our marriage healthy, that's for sure. And we've figured out that we just have to talk. And once we can talk, we can figure out anything. Where we are in the season of life, it's, it's all a season of healing and you know just rebuilding because we didn't even really know who each other were you know during that time and now we got to figure out who we are with two kids on top of that too <laughs> so through everything that that I've been through um, there's absolutely no way that Katie should have stayed with me I mean you look at every opportunity that she had to get out of this relationship most people would have done it um, and there's a reason why God put us together. Um, even though it was a weird scenario how we got together, you know, and things like that in college. But, you know, it's, it's something to where God works in those ways that you don't even, He works behind the scenes to where He's putting something together that's beyond what you can understand. Consider it joy when troubles of any kind come your way. It, it makes it more real when we watch a story like that and see the ways that God is still present, very present in their lives today and the ways that they're using the story and what they've walked through to serve and to lead others now. Um, this week I was talking with Jonathan Thomas, he's our video director who um, created this story. And um, he mentioned that, um, this, I thought this was worth noting, he mentioned how many people this week had said, I can't believe there's gonna be a part three. I feel like you told the whole story already. And I think that what we, what we so often miss is that we think that we see someone go through a really hard day or a really hard week or a really tough thing. And then we think, because from the outside we think like, oh, they've moved on to something else. But what I love about Katie and Aaron's story is that they've been so honest with us about how it's still a part of their healing and a part of their recovery today. And it always will be a part of their story. This part of their lives will never define them, but will, it will absolutely be part of their story. Something I hope we gain from this conversation is that reminder that um, it doesn't define you, it becomes a part of your story. Similarly, when someone who you love dies, that loss stays with you for the rest of your life. You don't just get over it, you don't just move on, you don't forget it. In reality, practicing patience in a season of life like this isn't something that starts until from the outside it looks like it's over. We have such an opportunity to love the people in our lives well when they walk through something like this. I don't wanna miss a chance to emphasize something that Aaron said. He said to the person out there trying to get into recovery, your addiction is trying to isolate you from everything, so reach out to somebody. If you're walking through something really hard today, do not miss this challenge and this invitation to let somebody in. Katie said, it's not exactly what I would have pictured our marriage to look like. I didn't think this would be a key spot in our story, but now we have something we know really well, and now we're in a season of healing and rebuilding, and the ways that God will continue to use their story and the ways that they're willing to talk about it um, is something that we probably won't ever realize the impact that they've made. I want to keep reading in James chapter 5, starting in, in verse 13, when James says, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. 
Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. James is telling us here to pray, to start with prayer, to end with prayer, to pray without ceasing. And I doubt with any, that any of us would disagree with his command that prayer should be our absolute first, most important response to anything that we face. I think we all would agree with that statement, but I wonder how many times when we actually walk through something, our initial response is to actually try to scheme and plan and, and put in hard work and figure out what we're going to do about it and then go to God and say, hey, will you bless all the work that I just did? What if prayer was truly our absolute first response and that we didn't start planning and figuring things out until after we'd gone to God first? I think if we're honest, this is one of those passages in scripture that can really trip us up a little bit because James literally says right in the middle of it, and the Lord will make you well. And it could be easy to read that and assume that healing is the only possibility in your situation or your story if you simply just pray. But I think it's important to remember that when, you, when James is saying the Lord will make you well, it doesn't necessarily mean what we think that that means. And while it's important that we pray bold prayers of healing and full recovery and reconciliation we're in the, when we're in the middle of something, we must pray those bold prayers. But I think James is urging us and reminding us of how important it is to also pray the prayers that ask for wisdom and ask for patience and ask for the ability to consider it joy when we face hard things. Sometimes God is doing something that just doesn't make sense to us at the time. As you likely know, the reality is that God is not always going to answer our prayers in the ways that we want him to or the ways that we expect him to. The difficult things that you have faced in your life and the things that we will still face, they are not a result of your prayers being too weak or of praying the wrong things or of asking the wrong people to pray. None of what you've walked through is a result of any of that. And sometimes we, we forget how much we have to focus on what God is doing in the middle of something instead of focusing on what he's not doing. There's so much power in that. So we've talked through three times when James wants us to be patient. Be patient when you can't control the outcome. Be patient when you can't change people. And our third one here, be patient when you can't see purpose in the pain. Every time you can't see purpose in the pain, you can't figure out what God is doing. God knows. God can see purpose in your pain. And sometimes it just looks like figuring out what patience truly could look like in our lives as we wait well while we're waiting to see what God is going to do in the middle of our situation. I want to point out um, to you as we uh, begin to, to wrap up our conversation today, uh, the graphics that were made for this series. Some of you might think that when they put an image up on the screen, uh, they just choose like a stock photo or just whatever catches their eye. But I want you to know our, our team puts a lot of intentionality and a creative process into figuring out what kind of images are going to support what's being taught. And I would imagine that some of you saw flowers and thought, oh, it's because there's a woman up there. Let's put some flowers up on the screen. 
the flowers represent so much more to, than that. And I don't want to miss an opportunity to, to explain the significance of this image to you because the flowers in this image are actually pressed flowers. And maybe some of you have gone through that process where you've tried to press uh, to preserve a bouquet, maybe from a wedding, maybe from a funeral, from a moment in time that you wanted to remember. You wanted to savor the memories from that thing in your life that those flowers represent. It takes a really significant amount of pressure to preserve flowers. So you either put them inside of a really heavy book or you lay something very, very heavy on top of the flowers in order to press them. And you can't let that pressure off of the flowers until you've waited long enough because they could wilt or dry out if you haven't waited enough time because it doesn't just take pressure, it takes time. Enough time to make sure that when the flower is removed from the pressure, you will see its beauty and you will see that moment in your life that's frozen for you to see and, and reap the benefits from for years to come as you remember it. But if you don't wait long enough, it can mess the whole thing up. Our lives are no different. Uh, we've talked throughout this series about how we think that we can't handle a whole lot of pressure. And it's because we were never meant to handle pressure on our own. We were meant to ask God to help us handle it. So sometimes in our lives, it feels like we've been put under a weight. Someone has put a book or a really heavy weight over our head and we want nothing more than to lift it off because we're sure that we just can't face it anymore. But in those moments is when it's most likely for us to fully surrender to God and to admit to him sometimes for the very first time that we actually need his help if we're going to be able to survive the pressure that we're under. And sometimes we'll think like, oh, well, now that I've got God by my side, I'm sure it's been enough time. But the truth is sometimes when we wanna push the pressure away, we just haven't waited long enough to become what God wants us to become in our lives. We haven't waited long enough to allow the weight of what we've walked through to refine us, to make us more like God, to help us rely on him every moment of every single day and knowing that the only possible explanation for that refinement and the beauty that comes out of that process is that God was right there with us every step of the way. We all have scars in our lives. Some of those scars are physical wounds of something that, that has hurt you, that you've had to heal from. A lot of those wounds are internal. They are wounds that are still trying to heal, but nobody can see. So everybody thinks that you're doing just fine. And sometimes our tendency can be to try to hide those scars because we don't want people to realize the weight of the pressure that we're under, the weight and the impact that it's having on our lives. And we think that if we just hide it from people, they won't know. But that's not the example that Jesus set for us. It was by Jesus's wounds that we were healed. He wanted us to see his physical wounds, to know what he had gone through so that we wouldn't have to feel the weight and the pressure of the wounds in our lives. I want to remind you of, um, of a quote that Aaron said as he was finishing up sharing his story. He said this, he said, God works behind the scenes. He's putting something together and it's beyond what you can understand. Today, every, for every single one of us, God is putting something together in your life and it is beyond what we can see right now. As we begin to close, I want to ask and to challenge you to spend just a moment with God. It's just you and him. 
And I want to encourage you to just lay whatever feels heavy right now in your life. If you're walking through some type of adversity, if you're facing a challenge in your life that just feels like it's too much pressure for you to handle, where you just invite God into that with you. And if you can't think of something, I'm sure you can think of someone in your life who's walking through something and needs a little extra prayer right now. If you really just don't know where to start, I wanna ask you to pray this prayer that is directly from the word, uh, words of James. God, help me turn to you in times of trouble. May my faith in you grow as your strength carries me through. Maybe just start there. Spend just a moment alone with God. And then Lindsay's gonna lead us in singing it is well. And I hope that you can believe that for whatever you're walking through today, find a way to know that as you wait well, as you wait patiently, trust that it is well, it is well with my soul. That's what God wants you to, to believe and to hear today. So will you pray to God right now?